This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alec the Third. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show, where I seek to elevate people and ideas so that together we can reach new heights. Today's episode features the Lucas Brothers, and we're talking about their film, Judas and the Black Messiah, that's coming out in 2021. It is about the murder of Fred Hampton, who was a very charismatic leader of the Black Panther Party in Chicago. And if you don't know about him, look him up. He was kind of he was kind of the next generation of who Mal- Malcolm X and Martin Luther King were, what they were about. He was kind of the convergence of the two. He was bringing the whole country together, black and white, talking about economic and racial injustice and how those two intersect. And had he not been assassinated in his sleep, I think he would have, I think we'd be in a different place than we are right now. I think the civil rights movement didn't get finished. Like we're still on the march. That's why we're still talking about these issues today. I was going to hold on to this episode for a little while longer because the film's coming out in 2021. So I wasn't sure when I was going to release it. I don't know how y'all are doing, but this has been kind of a, a rough week for me. Um, personally, and then just with everything going on, we have COVID still going on. We're still in this unprecedented time. Um, I have a lot on my plate. I'm balancing it the best I can. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, sorry, I've been kind of quiet this week with the episode release, but, uh, yeah. And then, uh, New York got declared an anarchist jurisdiction because supposedly it's just crazy. And I can just tell you, I've fallen in love with New York all over again. I love being here in Bushwick. I love my community. I feel very safe and optimistic being here. And I'm also realized the mountain of work we have ahead of us. And then um, Breonna Taylor happens and there's no justice again. It just feels like, uh, and it's not a surprise. I'm not even surprised anymore, but Brianna Brianna Taylor murdered in her sleep. No justice. And so yeah, I felt like now's the time to release this episode. It's a great conversation with the Lucas Brothers. You probably know them from the Lucas Brothers Moving Company or if you've seen their stand-up special on drugs. If you haven't, definitely check both of those out. They're excellent. They're funny. Um they're thoughtful and this Fred Hampton movie, that's that's going to be very important and different from what you know from them before. Although, on drugs, that comedy special is talking about Nixon. And the war on drugs really kind of stifled the progress that, that we were making in the black community and the civil rights movement and whatnot. So, uh, I was very uh, happy to sit down with them. They're brilliant. I love what they're doing. They super inspire me personally on the different things that I want to create and do. So it's just an honor to sit down and talk with them. Um, They have great minds. So I'm going to share that conversation with you. So here we are. This is the Lucas Brothers talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. Let's have a conversation. Hey, what's up, man? What's going on? How you guys doing? Good, man. Good, good. Uh, Where are you guys at right now? In Bushwick. Oh, where? Yeah. Well, how appropriate. Um, 
Yeah, and just so you know, uh, we just kind of, we're already rolling right now. Um, just get right into it. Um, so I first uh, was introduced to you guys, I don't know how many years ago that was, but it was in Bushwick. Um, you guys were around. I used to manage a bar called Pine Box Rock Shop. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that's still around. Um, and I used to have dreads back then too. I cut them at the beginning of the pandemic. But uh, basically, um, I, I was introduced to your work a little bit back then. Um, and I heard your conversation with Mark Marin. Mm -hmm. And then I checked out your uh, special okay. uh, on drugs. And just recently, I was talking to another guest, and we were, they have like a history podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I was telling them about the stuff that we're doing, dealing with right now, and how Trump is kind of doing the law and order thing. Right. Um, there's a dictator that uh, Trump reminds me of quite a bit. But as far as American politics, he's really doing the Nixon Right. Right. Um, and I was super powerful um, the way you guys kicked off that whole special. So I kind of um, was telling them about that. And then they didn't know your work. And then um, I, I went and checked over you guys on Instagram. And I did not realize that you guys uh, are the writers on the upcoming Fred Hampton uh, biopic. So thank you for sitting down. I'm super excited to talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's kind of, we could start from there. Just, um, it makes sense in that, um, you guys dealing with, you know, on drugs and what that was kind of about. Right. Um, but how did, how did this project and how did you guys get involved with the Fred Hampton project? Well, I mean, it really goes all the way back to college. Like my brother and I, we were, you know, fairly well versed on African-American studies, but we hadn't come across the the Hampton story until like our sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And it just blew our it just blew our minds. It was like the government conspired with the local police department to kill a person who was exercising their constitutional rights to free assembly, free speech, and uh, the right, right to bear arms. arms, all that stuff. So I was just like, why aren't we talking about this more? Like it's a, it's a, complete like miscarriage what do you call it like, miscarriage. miscarriage of justice and it was weird that hollywood hadn't picked i mean not weird i mean it makes perfect sense why hollywood wouldn't have wanted to make this sort of movie but you know with malcolm x being made i thought it would make a very good movie so it was always like percolating in the back of our minds and this like, was before we got into the uh, you know entertainment industry so we didn't know <clears throat> the, the, the we didn't know the industry we didn't know the route you had to take to get a movie made but right in the back of our heads, it was always something like, oh, this is a story that needs to be told to more people. So we got into the business and we learned more about production, more, more about writing and how you get movies made, the process of getting greenlit and it's tedious. It's, you know, it takes a lot, especially a movie like this, because it's very specific, even though Fred is like, in my book, one of the most inspirational civil rights leaders uh, of his generation and quite possibly of, of all time, it's still not something that registered with Hollywood. Like they're not gonna be like, oh, let's give you guys $30 million to make this movie. So we had to really sort of learn the game. And we came across uh, Shaka King. He's a, you know, he's a Brooklyn guy, mm -hmm. but he was also an, an up and coming director. Who well, before, before Shaka, so it was like 2013, we had read this book, uh, The Assassination of Fred Hampton. Right, right. And uh, again, we had been in the industry for three years and we, we started to figure out the game a little bit more. 
And uh, we read that book and we were like, okay, we need to figure out an angle for the movie. Because right. we, we found out that there was already a, a Fred Hampton movie. Two Fred Hampton movies. Two Fred Hampton movies in development. Right, right, right. And we were like, holy shit, like, okay, we, we can't, we gotta, we gotta come up with something that's a little bit more, um, what's the word? I don't wanna say unique, but something a little bit more. Like a different angle. Different, it's a different angle, so yeah. it doesn't feel like a traditional biopic. Right, right, right. Uh, and so in the back of our minds, we were like, oh, what if it's, what if it's more like a neo-noir? You know, what if it's, we look at the civil rights genre, but we, we, we make it more of a, a noirish right. crime. Uh, Psychological uh, thriller. Yeah. Because we, we've never seen that. And I, we felt like COINTELPRO, espionage, all that stuff just lend itself very well to this sort of psychological thriller where we can like really go into the, the the psychology of what it felt like to be a young black man the paranoia that you felt as a young black man in the 60s where everyone was conspiratorial and everyone thought that they were being spied upon and in reality is they were being spied on so mm -hmm. it's like we wanted to really capture that sentiment because we felt like it parallels to now we, mm -hmm. we got the NYPD, they're spying on Black Lives Matter protesters. And you got you got the government calling Black Lives Matter as a terrorist, terrorist and right? Painting us, painting us as the villains, and and again, that's just how things were, and that's how things are now. Yeah, where African Americans are perceived as criminals, right? It's baked, it's baked into the legal system. So we wanted to make a film that reflected. Not only the paranoia of African Americans at the time, but the paranoia of uh, law enforcement. Right. And how it, it's, on, it's, it's been this ongoing war since we got here. Right. Uh, and, and so we had all that in the back of our heads. We started to put some things on paper. Right. And we developed a pitch. And we were like, okay, we're going to pitch this neo noir Chinatown like subversion of a civil rights film. Yeah. We pitched it around town. Everybody rejected it. Right. right, right. Okay. Something we gotta we gotta we gotta <laughs> we gotta come up with a different game plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perhaps it's too uh it's hard to fathom. It's like wait, you wanna go from a perspective of the snitch? You don't wanna have like the you know the traditional beats of a conventional biopic with Fred be like, no, this is bigger than that. We've never had a story that delved into the the machinations of COINTELPRO and how just sinister it was. And I'm like, this is bigger than what you guys can see. So we 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 sat on it a little bit after we got rejected around town. And and then that's when we that's when we 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 uh, we discovered no we didn't discover Shaka we we actually worked with Shaka on this um, and he's Shaka is just like this brilliant director like yeah just we knew we we needed uh, like a a filmmaker who could put our ideas mm -hmm. who could explain it a little bit more visually right mm -hmm. they weren't they couldn't see it with the words they needed to see it. They needed they needed someone to paint that picture, sure. and uh, we worked with Shaka on this pilot that didn't go anywhere. But we had watched all of his stuff, and uh, mm -hmm. we was like, "Man, this guy is." This yeah, guy. and we spent like he would come to our apartment in Hollywood, and we'd like smoke like smoke jays and just like harp on the, the Hampton story. And we can, it was like almost an instant connection. Like he, he just saw it. Mm -hmm. He understood the references, the 70s cinema references. He was a big Scorsese guy. So he understood that we were, we wanted to channel that taxi driver, the alien mm -hmm. being a young black man that, that like, look, civil rights wasn't an aspirational and inspirational movement in, in many respects. But I mean, we really have to understand that as a young black man in the sixties and seventies, you were alienated. You were you were in despair. And we're talking about after King got killed. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe before King, when King was alive, 
he was, it could be a little bit more inspirational. But after he got killed, it was hopeless. Yeah, it was like there, there were riots all over the country. Black men were still being killed in mass. The drug war was about to start up. Like it was just a really sad time. And I felt like we all kind of vibed on that, especially going through what we're going through now with Trump. And so we finally put together a more detailed pitch. Uh, Shaka was friends with Ryan Coogler and they go way back. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that was like, that was the thing that really got us over the hump. Right. But when we, when we were able to go out to Hollywood with Ryan Coogler saying he given us his blessing, that's when doors started opening right. up. People were like, all right, we want to make this movie. That's awesome. Um, and that's, speaking of Ryan Coogler and Black Panther, actually, there were things in that movie, like there was like a lot of debate, like within our community about, about that movie. I love that movie. And to me, there were some things that Ryan Coogler did uh, that were brilliant. One of them being the movie opens in Oakland. Yeah. So you have this superhero, um, you know, this uh, Afro-futuristic -fu story. Right. But the start of the movie is actually in Oakland, which is where the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense started. Right. And, I, of course, Ryan Coogler knows that. And, totally. yeah, that was brilliant to me. Yeah. Because um, then it's communicating to people on different levels. Right. right. And you even, know, you know, uh, Killmonger's philosophy. Mm-hmm the black panther's ideology is baked into it uh you can you can just feel it when he's when he's giving his speeches and yeah i think that's why kugler was attracted to the script and to the project because it was like oh wait this is this is about the black panthers but it's also about cointel pro and there's a lot of the themes he was uh he was touching on in black panther but you know now it's a bit more explicit yeah. mm -hmm. And did you guys see the Mario Van? I think it was Mario Van Peebles that did it, but Panther back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was kind of like my introduction as a kid when that came out. And I remember actually from that movie, like speaking about Fred Hampton, yeah. mm -hmm. they kind of just have some quick documentary footage in it, but just that I don't. It couldn't have been more than two minutes. Right, right, right. Like captivated me back then. Just sort of like, who is that guy? Right. Like, what's that dude's story um and then i love that the preview for for your movie starts with that i am a revolutionary speech um which also speaks to that hopeless time what the panthers were able to do was put the ideology of dr king mm -hmm. and malcolm x into action and community organization and yeah they have the guns but really like the free breakfast program that's why they were villainized because it was bringing people together. Your oh, so. breakfast program, you, you built a hospital. I mean, yeah. he was doing things at such a young age that you know it's, it's unheard of, and mm -hmm. he was doing it really without the, the aid of the government. Right. You know what I mean? So he was able to organize within the community right. and, and put, put forth policies that went against the typical capitalistic, you know. Uh, platform and right. i think that that's you're right that's what made him the threat right not the guns it was his ideas right and that's why the government feared him. yeah uh, you know and his ideas were starting to attract the coalition of both whites hispanics i mean latina x and latinx and uh, black people and that and i think that's the biggest fear for uh the capitalist class you don't want to see poor people uniting behind maoist uh, ideology that's the biggest fear that they can have because they know that there are powers in number 
And if everyone, if we can set aside our racial differences and connect on over economics, we'll be more powerful than the elites can handle at one time. It's just mm -hmm. a basic number. Mm -hmm. um, so you were talking about back in college, um, that's when you read that book, you know, about the murder of Fred Hampton, but you weren't in the industry then. Did you have aspirations to get into the industry then or kind of what were you thinking back then? In college, uh, we studied philosophy. Right. And uh, by sophomore year, we were like, oh, we want to get PhDs in philosophy. Right. And so we went down that route for a bit and we were like, oh, those guys don't make any money. So we decided <laughs> to become lawyers instead. Right. So we went to law school for a few years. And that was a debacle because then we realized money wasn't uh, really enough to satisfy the soul. Yeah. Uh, so then we dropped out of law school and decided to become stand-up comedians. So we were always fascinated with film. Like we, uh, we had one of our best friends was this like cinephile, and he would just like sort of you know teach us the game of cinema. And we and by sophomore year we've been watching all the we we went through the top 100 IMDb movies and just devoured them. Because mm -hmm. prior to meeting my friend who's like this uh, big cinema guy, I was just like, I had no taste in movies. <laughs> I would just watch some of the worst shit. I just, right. I had no perspective. But as I started to delve more deeply into it, I started to really appreciate it as an art form because right. not only is it a, a visual thing, but it's emotional, it's philosophical. Mm -hmm. you, you can connect with people on so many different levels in a visceral way. And mm -hmm. It's a powerful tool. Uh, Hollywood has, unfortunately been very detrimental in how it portrays African-Americans to the masses. And it's been uh, a way to justify atrocities against mm -hmm. African-Americans. I mean, going back to Birth of Nation, painting African-Americans as cannibals or animalistic or rapists or not in control of their emotions. So I've always been like, if Blacks can get a foothold, and we've done a pretty good job of getting a foothold into Hollywood, we can shift the narrative. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Also, while in college, we, as you mentioned, we watched a bunch of films and we watched this film called The Conformist. Right. And I think that was our sophomore year. Right. And uh, we watched it in this philosophy class. And that movie had a direct influence on how we shape uh, the story. Yeah, because it's about a guy who has to, you yes. know, what's that? I said it, shaped, it directly shaped how we uh, form yeah. the story for Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay. Yeah, it's about a guy who has to infiltrate uh, uh, his professor's sort of He's like a fascist and now he has to infiltrate uh, the communist uh, regime and he it just it's just shot beautifully. Yeah, it's, uh, it came out in the 70s yeah. with Bertolucci and it's a neo a neo realist film and those are some of the, the, the themes and aspects that we wanted to put into uh, Judas. Yeah, because again, like you said, the alienation, you have uh, the creeping fascism mm -hmm. in, in Italy, like I feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough in um, America, especially through cinemas. Like in the 70s and 60s, and even now, the FBI and the local police departments, in my opinion, were fascistic. I mean, I, I, how else do you describe Hoover? Like, there was no respect for our constitutional mm -hmm. rights, no respect for our democratic values. They literally assassinated people who disagreed with them ideologically. Right. To me, uh -huh. the that's definitely fascism and, and now feel, and now with trump he's not he's there, not even hiding it he's there, yeah there's no there's no uh he's not hiding anything he's been very 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 vocal about his fascism and you see how his uh followers are just easily uh manipulated and, and they go with it and it's it's a terrifying thing right mm -hmm. um do you guys have i mean i mean i'm sure you do but how do you i guess manage that fear because Talking about spying now, 
especially if you're somewhat of a public figure, um, anything you say or do is out there. Like it's online, like people don't even, like it's out there. So people don't even have to spy anymore. Um, and sometimes I find myself saying things and being like, man, if this all goes crazy, I'm on a list like already. Uh, so how do you deal with like that fear? Cause I think it's, you know, we have to speak truth to power. Um, but right now shit's hitting the fan, you know? You, you look at someone like Fred and you're like, okay, this guy was in his twenties, young man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was fearless and right. he knew his voice was more powerful than the fear itself. Right. And so I think that you have to, you have to like look at yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, how do I want to, to challenge the powers that be? Uh, do you cower and just, you know, hide or do you, do you speak up and use whatever tools that you have to, to, to fight awareness. the system and right. bring awareness? And I think that, you know, when we dropped out of law school and decided to embark on this journey as a uh, quote unquote entertainers, we, we realize we, we, we can use our voice to, to, to challenge the system. And so that's what we've done. And mm-hmm. it's uh, sometimes it's terrifying, but I'm like, man, we're from North New Jersey. I mean, you know, we're from a very dangerous inner city. We've right. seen violence up close and personal. We've dealt with uh, a police force that, that's fascistic. So it's like, this is nothing new to us. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is just the next level of it. And hopefully the film is able to shed light on uh, just a nefarious uh, part of the history in, uh, in America. Yeah, that's, I think, the the silver lining to, I mean, I don't even know, I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but if there is, like, a silver lining to Trump, it's that there's a big portion of America and a lot of, like, white people in America specifically who, before Trump, we were having a conversation or a debate on whether or not racism right. existed. <laughs> um, and that's not the conversation now. Yeah, um, right, right. But unfortunately, it's also been a dog whistle, which has given people who secretly but strongly held um, those views uh, license to spout those views um, and license to like act out those right. scenarios. So. Yeah, I remember the post-racial uh, utopia that some folks thought we were uh, headed toward. I'm like, you know, racism is baked into the to the, the fabric of this country. Mm-hmm. You can't just uh, pretend like it's not there just because we have a, a black president now. I mean, and you're right because of Trump, and not and not because of Trump, but with Trump in office and with his followers being so vocal about their disdain for certain groups of people, all the cards are on the table now. Right. And and I think that that's a good, ultimately, I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, you know? we, we like, we, now we know where they stand. And it's, it's, it's what we always thought. It's just now there's no more subtleties. It's just like, no, they don't like Latinx people. They don't like Blacks. They don't like Muslims. They don't like minorities. They're, they'll do whatever it takes to maintain their power. Even voting in a man who's been a bigot most of his life. It's like, it's it's clear now. And now we don't have to pretend like we're in this post-racial utopia because Obama won. Mm-hmm. It's always been about maintaining power. And white power. White power. And uh, anyone could want to maintain white supremacy. That's the crazy thing. It's like, it's not just white people, you know, you've yeah. seen blacks, you know, be vocal about Trump. It's like anyone could 
if yeah. you if you buy into the system and you want to maintain white supremacy, it can it can uh, it can cross a racial line. Right. So you like know, a Candace Owens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's willing to yeah tell out her own people so that she can. Yeah, and it's also like this idea, like um, you know, people talk about toxic masculinity, um, but there's just a toxicity in our culture, and it is like um, like so capitalism, like people who are big proponents of capitalism always try to say like that it never works any anywhere else, like any other system. But then when you point out, well, like in Europe, there's like more of a balance. Cause I don't know that there's any political system at the end of the day, that's ever going to be perfect, but late stage capitalism is not the thing. And like, it's basically this idea that in order for me to be successful, somebody else has to like hurt. Right. Um, and I just don't uh, agree with that. Um, but yeah, too many people buy into it. Yeah. People buy into the idea of this perfect capitalistic system, but they don't realize that this isn't a quote unquote perfect capitalistic system. No. This is a system run by people who want power. Mm-hmm. They're going to use any idea or belief system to, to, to manipulate the masses to maintain power. Right. And, uh, that's what they've been doing and, and they've done it effectively because very, very few people control most of the wealth and have most of the power. This, this is not a democracy. And, 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 but they've convinced people that to believe that they, they are, they are on equal footing. And I don't know how you fight it, but obviously there are a lot of people who want change mm-hmm. and you can't just discount them. You know what I mean? You have to account for them. And right. It's going to come to a head and i don't know again i don't know where it's going to lead it feels like civil wars is the, is the only way to, to to deal with this because i don't think a, a battle of ideas i don't think that that's going to no i mean no one's going when, to when, when you get to a point where property and and things like money are more important than human lives then you're at a you're you're, you're dealing with people who are who are psychopaths mm-hmm. yeah they don't they don't understand that humans are suffering I mean, mm-hmm. you don't literally downplaying a pandemic so that he can protect the stock market so that his reelection chances are, are, are stable. Like this guy's a sociopath, psychopath. a psychopath, I'm sorry. And he doesn't value human life. And I, I would say that a majority of the Republicans see the world the same way. It's about property, it's about the stock, it's about wealth. And it doesn't matter about whether or not people live you know, harmoni- harmoniously with one another. They, they're, they're willing to sacrifice Yeah, they don't lives. care about human life. If that, mm-hmm. if, you, if that life doesn't, you know, increase stock options, it's like you're, you're irrelevant. Yeah, you're like, expendable. Yeah. And it's disgusting. Right. And like, how could you be okay with that? I mean, I mean human Fred, life- Fred Hampton's life was expendable to them because he preached an ideology that was com- in complete contrast to capitalistic thought. I mean, to them, that, that made it justifiable to kill him. Mm-hmm. To me, unacceptable. yeah and it's like um it goes to the whole thing it's like it's so frustrating the way dr king is like misappropriated misrepresented um like so people take like yeah everybody should be free or yeah we should all get along it's like yeah um but like it sounds simple but when you say if some of us aren't free none of us are free 
what that really means to me and what that means to, and I'm sure what it means to you guys, but basically like what I think that means is when you say somebody is expendable, yeah, you give permission and license for companies and for people in power to say that some human being, like he, like you can decide that if you have power, everybody else is expendable. Right. right. And like, I'm not against, I want nice things in life. Um, I want my community, my family to be able to have nice things, but not at the cost of other people's lives and of people suffering, you know, it's a simple question. It's just like with capitalism, there's this obsession with wealth and you just, you fail to realize like, man, like everybody can eat, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like we have resources to feed everyone if we wanted to. But the fact that some people are so greedy to the point where they need hundreds of billions of dollars to satisfy their egos at the expense of, 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 of humans. It's just like, that's, that to me is, is the, the issue. We're, we're not saying, you know, completely get rid of material well-being. It's like, right. no, p- people should have nice things, but let's just spread the wealth. Mm-hmm. And back to mm-hmm. what you were saying about Dr. King, is like he wanted a radical redistribution of wealth. Yeah. He saw it. He's a, he, he's a very, very smart man. And he saw that, uh, like that the, only, the only way to really achieve any sort of uh, equitable justice is by uh, a radical redistribution of wealth. Yeah. Uh, because our, our property and, and our wealth was taken from us. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, our labor wasn't. Our labor they didn't compensate yeah. us for our, our labor for almost 400 years. Well, even yeah. when we did build up our businesses, they destroyed that. Like what, what happened in Tulsa? Like uh-huh. yeah, we were thriving in Tulsa and that was destroyed. And it's like, this is as, 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 as uh, we're talking about like, we're not even talking just about slavery. We're talking about just the complete deprivation of our of our our, our wealth and our, our property. Right. And um, and now, yeah, I feel and like no respect for our labor. So. No respect for our labor. No respect for our property. No respect for our our well being. And now we're we're asking for and we're demanding it, and and we're still getting uh, blowback from the government and and even when the government has decided to bail out banks bail out Wall Street, mm-hmm. I mean, bail out the money men when they've been reckless with <laughs> with how they speculate, with how they spend, like, it's just no, it's just weird at how much we value the, the rights of nameless corporations versus the rights of human people who have contributed immensely to the growth of America. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and it's the, I mean, the what was done to black people in America and Native American people, it's the original sin that justifies the whole system that we have here. Um, And yeah, COINTELPRO was, that was started by Hoover. Hoover, Hoover, yep. And and yeah, specifically as it pertains to the Panthers um, and like what happened with like crack cocaine Mm -hmm. is it was, to neutralize the black community and stop the rise of a black messiah. It's like, that's where the name black messiah comes from. And I definitely agree. Like, I think anybody like, so I'm super excited about this movie coming out because people know Malcolm X, people know Dr. Martin Luther King, but Fred Hampton had something that was, he was able to express this message to everybody. So it was like, of, it was connecting to black people, but it was also waking up white people who right. you're sitting here buying into this racist ideology, but this system's stealing from you too. 
Right. Like, right. unless you're on the top. Um, and that's, that's what it does. Like it, it's more at the expense of us, but it really does hurt everybody. And Fred was able to like galvanize people to do something about that. Right. You know, I mean, shifted the discussion. I mean, obviously, you know, race mattered to him, but he was able to shift the discussion to, to economics, which mm-hmm. I think was, was able to appeal to, to more people. And that was, it was so radical to do at the time. Uh, I mean, even the civil rights leaders weren't doing that. And, right. and he did it as, at a young, at such a young age. Right. Uh, and he was such a powerful speaker that he was also able to just to connect to, to people on a, on a basic level. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's astonishing how much he accomplished in such a short time. Well, what's crazy is that when labor starts talking about sharing the wealth, they're called communists. But when they talk about sharing our tax dollars with the the corporations, it's just it's fine. It's not communism. It's triple down economics. It's triple down economics. There's it's, a, it's, there are always like euphemisms for why it's okay to take our tax dollar and bail and bail out Wall Street. That's which is still another form of shifting wealth out mm-hmm. of the money that we generate to these guys who be they're fucking crooks doing cocaine on Wall Street and we we bail them out. It's like how is that fair? How the fuck is that just? You know what I mean? And I think that Hampton was able to understand that if I talk to the people about their economic conditions and tie it to capitalism and the racist white supremacy structure that upholds it, we can make a dent a dent in it. And yeah, and that's why that's why Hoover feared him. That's why Hoover uh, feared him the most. They used the guns as a as an excuse, pretense. as a pretense to raid, but the, the the fear was the ideas. Right. Uh, and how he was able to to galvanize uh, a large group of people. It's crazy also. It just makes me think. um, It's the similar... So I've had this question a bunch of times, and it's like, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but like, when these um, police brutality, police killing things like happen every time, and like there's things from like the police community where kind of the message of like well all well all police aren't like that Mm -hmm. and then my question is well why don't i hear police officers then speaking out against clearly like excessive force you know what i mean why don't you speak out when you see something clearly wrong you know like if you were a firefighter or if you were a doctor or a lawyer or anything and you saw somebody doing something bad and people were like, yo, that person did something bad. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be like, well, you can't say anything about that person. The ju- like, you'd be like, no, like that person did not do what they were supposed to do. So that's like one. And then the other one was Philando Castile. Yeah. So the NRA, every time there's like a mass school shooting, the NRA has their, you know, talking points on why, you know, why we shouldn't put gun restriction. But then Philando Castile legally had a gun. Why would, like, you know what I mean? I mean, I know the answer. It's like, it's racism. But, like, wouldn't that be, like, the perfect argument for the NRA? Like, wouldn't that be the, shouldn't they have, like, been defending him? But, you know, of course not. In the 60s, when the Panthers stormed the Capitol to protest uh, the Mulford Act, NRA, you would think would have sided with the Panthers, you know, to to protect gun, you know, gun rights, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. They, they went against the Panthers. Yeah. It's, it's who has the guns. I mean, you know, if a white 
dude has a gun and he storms the Capitol. And that's his, he's free to do that. That's his right. He has a constitutional right to bear arms. He has a constitutional right to protest. Uh, and, 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 that, and that's all fine. But if an African-American or any other minority group decides to do the same thing, they're treated as criminals right. and terrorists and, and, and they're seen as a threat. And usually, like, yeah, shot on sight. Like, right. shot on sight. I mean, right. it's just, it's just baked into the the fabric of this country. Uh, brown people or black people with guns, threats. Mm-hmm. White people with guns, heroes. Freedom fighters. That's that's just that's just the the. Well, this is this all goes back to like, what what is this notion of freedom? What does it mean to what does black freedom mean uh, against white freedom? I think. I think it's unfortunate that we have to now categorize freedom in terms of race, but I think that's the only way you can do it. When 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 the Constitution talks about freedom, they're talking about white freedom. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about black freedom because black freedom is an oxymoron for 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 the people who can can uh, constructed the Constitution. There was no such thing as black freedom. Mm-hmm. Black slaves, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They were they, they were deprived of this notion of because they lacked rationality, so they couldn't be free. Mm-hmm. They, they, they lack the ability to, to, reason. to reason. So that means that they were uh, subhuman. subhuman, can't be free. Mm-hmm. And that's in the constitution and it hasn't been changed. I mean, the constitution- Beliefs are very tough to, to overturn. When a right. person or a group of people have a belief baked into their, to their psychology, uh, you can't just eradicate it with evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they firmly believe that Blacks are subhuman, not just blacks, but blacks and browns and minorities in general, that we're subhuman and, and that we, we don't we're have not the same rights and same abilities as uh, the white race. So this notion of, you know, we the people and we're free, it, that, to yeah. them, it doesn't apply to us. Right. We need to be controlled because we're wild, we're animals, we're mm-hmm. beasts, mm-hmm. We're, we're prone to violence, we're criminals. We're thugs. We're thugs, we're terrorists, you know, we, 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 we want to destroy. And hence, we need to be controlled. That's why we need law and order. Right. Mm-hmm. And this all goes up. This goes back to the very premise of our constitution. They, they, there's this notion that because they gave us freedom from slavery, therefore we have freedom. But that's just a negative form of freedom. It's not the positive form of freedom that they really speak about in the constitution. And another human can't give another human freedom. That's right. just a, it's an, it's a, it's absurd on the face of it, but when you break it down like this, where you divide these concepts and you uh, apply it differently, mm-hmm. there's no wonder why the outcome is so uh, unjust because they don't see us as humans. I mean, they don't think that we can share in the concept of freedom on a rational basis. And so mm-hmm. now we're getting locked up. And this up is again. sort of baked into Western philosophy, right? The idea that you know certain groups aren't capable of using reason and logic and that only one group, generally white men, mm-hmm. have these abilities. And, and but again, it's an absurdity. But it's uh, it's an and the funny thing is, and the funny thing is, white men uh, are people who are firm proponents of Western civilization. They say that they're the most reasonable, but their actions are so, <laughs> so <laughs> like. I'm talking rape, I'm talking pillages, I'm talking dropping nuclear bombs, I'm talking genocide, I'm talking just the most savage uh, treatment of humans I've ever seen. And it's all justified because they think that they're reasonable. It's like, you can't argue against that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's their metaphysics that just, it's just so warped and contradictory and just like, 
sinister and just kind of psychosexual and weird. And it's like white people, just white dudes in particular, creep me out. <laughs> it just creep me out. Right. They're like, to me, they're all kind of like serial killers. Right. Very close to it. Uh, so question on that, since the perspective of the movie is kind of more from the Judas character, right. uh, would you say, and I mean, this is like a tricky one. I don't know about spoilers because it's a historical right. film, but um, is he a villain in the movie or is it like more complicated than that? I mean, if you're Candace Owens, then perhaps he's not a villain. <laughs> if if you're one of us, of course you want to see him. I mean, I don't I don't like to I don't want to spoil anything, but mm. if you know the story and you know the history, it's hard to sympathize with a person who, you know, chooses that great yeah. one like Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to 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 sympathize with that yeah. character like that. Uh, and I know I know I know the story. I know the backstory. I know. I kind of understand what his mental state was, obviously, because he kills himself at the end. It's like, mm. he was a fucked up human being. And, you know, it, it's fucked up that he was in that predicament, but it's not like Fred was from money. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, you know, Fred was also poor and, mm -hmm. and also was about the struggle. And he took a different approach. And there were, he heard the same words that we hear from Fred. And he decided to, to to do something that I think was a, a, a categorical evil. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, again, it's tough for me, at least. And every person is different, right? Every person will come come into the movie with their, with their own perspective. But for me, it's tough for me to have any sympathy for him. Yeah, like I, I have a, <laughs> um, like Black Republicans. It's, um, I understand there are people who, aren't they don't they quote unquote aren't political or whatever mm -hmm. and they have views on economics that i definitely don't agree with um i probably like they're probably not people i'm gonna vibe with on a personal level um but we can keep it at that i don't understand right now those people who are like black republicans who are quote unquote reasonable or whatever and say it's because of their economic views this and that right now like the republican party has gone like it's like the whole country's been drifting to the right, right. Mm -hmm. but the republican party has gone like full anything like even they were saying like eight years ago but like kind of reasonable or reasonable sounding there's stuff like when you dig down that like i just can't get with um but i don't understand black republicans right now who are defending like overt racism i just don't i don't know what to do with it yeah yeah i mean yeah again it's this notion of you say reasonableness and and the freedom to 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 be a certain way and you know, black people are fiercely independent. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we, we don't want to be grouped. We don't yeah. want to be grouped and, and, and we, we like to, to, to be different and to, to show ourselves as independent thinkers. Right. And sometimes that means you're going to get black Republicans right. who, are, who are fiercely independent. Mm -hmm. But in, in their independence, they're supporting a system that oppresses a large group of their own people. Yeah. So, you know, 
I guess I understand it on a, on a philosophical level, but in terms of just like the results and looking at the fact that, you know, African-Americans are more likely to get arrested. African-Americans are more likely to be put to death during the, uh, for, for death, death penalties. African-Americans are more likely to live in substandard housing. Like yeah. if you look African-Americans at- are more likely to be arrested for drug charges. I mean, it's like the criminal justice system is so replete with uh, inequities that usually come at the expense of African-Americans. It's hard for me to, because when I was in college, I, I flirted with, uh, uh, you know, black republicanism. I, I, it was attractive to me as a poor black dude before I got, like, got hit to the game because I was like, look, if I can make it to college and I can do all of these things, why can't, you know, people from my area do the same thing? So rather, it's, you're sort of like, they're starting to blame the victim because you need to justify why you're doing well. And you don't want, you don't want to believe that, you know, there were opportunities that, that you were uh, uh, granted that may have aided in your ascent right you don't want to believe that you want to believe like you did it all by yourself because it's the, again it's that that myth of that myth of individuality and in that's baked into the american system where right. you, you feel like you you have to pull yourself up from your own bootstraps to right. make it to xyz and that's just not how things work it's generally a community of people right. that that work to help a person go from a to b right. in poor areas and rich areas it's generally a community of people that help you right. also when you listen to like successful business people like across the board who are like talk about like the secrets of their success and like when they're sharing that like one of the biggest things they talk about is like you need to find mentors you need to like meet people (laughs) you know why you need to meet people because you don't get successful on your own period impossible Mm-hmm. It takes a, a village to, to raise a successful person. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes black Republicans like to believe that it's because of their sheer power that they've been, they were able to make it from one area to the next. But it's like, you can believe that if you want, but that's just not, that doesn't comport to the reality of the situation. No. It takes it takes a whole community uh, to raise a successful person. And, and, and I think that that's what's just lacking in, in, in some of the philosophies that are baked into the capitalist system where it overvalues the individual at the expense of the community. Right. Mm-hmm. No civilization ever thrived without uh, a community uh, putting in the work to make sure it sustained itself. Usually when civilizations fall apart, it's when it's this sort of, and it's sort of what Pat Riley says, it's disease of me, like mm-hmm. a one, one guy who believes that they are the ones who can save the civilization. It, Usually crumbles right after. I mean, Trump is the perfect embodiment of of the capitalist ethos, where he feels he has the power to 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 change things. And it's like, nah, man. It's like it, it takes a it takes a whole group. A lot of, of people, people. A lot of people have uh, uh, shed blood for America. Black, white, male, female. Like a lot of people have died to make sure that this system of ideas sustained itself. Mm-hmm. So. For Trump to feel like he's the only one who can save it is just like asinine. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things, just like traveling the world a little bit, and like for the things that I don't like about this country, and there's a lot, <laughs> um, I do love the arts community, and I specifically love New York. And something that I thought about. Um, recently was 
the thing that I think is really cool about New York is that no one person is embodies what a New Yorker is. Absolutely. So it really can be anybody. And to me, like that actually is the aspirational hope for what the country could possibly be. Right. It's like that idea. Um, and you guys uh, got to say, uh, you know, I tip my hat to you guys. You guys are super inspiring to me. Um, I love the work you guys have been doing. Um, I have done stand-up comedy one time. Um, it, went, it went all right. It went all right. Um, but I've been more like an actor, singer, and writer. And so seeing you guys kind of, you know, I didn't know about your journey before, but seeing you guys kind of get into the world of comedy um, and then, you know, have, have special and then have like the Lucas Brothers Moving Company, right. which is dope. Um, and then this, it's like, this is like, I think if people don't know your backstory at all, it's like comedy, comedy, comedy. I mean, and Lucas Brothers like has some, um, there's like stuff in there too, you know what I mean? Right. But this movie is like, this is not a comedy. No, it's a hard <laughs> <laughs> um, So how do you guys kind of identify yourselves now, like as, as artists? And I mean, for me, that changes day to day. There's right. the term multi-hyphenate, but I do sort of feel like as black artists, we have to be multi-hyphenated. Right, right. Um, but yeah, but kind of how do you guys kind of identify? I, I, I've, That's a great I've, question. That's a great question. And I think that my brother and I, we've been thinking about this philosophy for a very long time. And uh, I mean, it goes already back to Aristotle uh, and the poetics, this idea that comedy and tragedy sort of exist on the same continuum, like you can't separate the two. I think, I think in Hollywood, um, fortunately, like there's this, this strict, uh, dichotomy. strict dichotomy between comedy and tragedy that they're distinct and that they should be developed differently and that they have different uh, connotations, especially and if you're black, oh, yeah. you know, if you're a black comedian, then you're a black comedian. Like there's a healthy sort of uh, class of individuals who've contributed to the, the, the art form of being a black comedian. And for Hollywood, for uh, executives, they see it one way. You know, mm -hmm. you're Kevin Hart, you're, you're Eddie Murphy, you're, you're Richard Pryor. And if you try to, you know, step outside of that paradigm, then they don't really know what to, how to place you. Uh, I think our approach is more Greek and a little bit more Aristotelian in that. And a little bit more um, uh, Bohemian. Bohemian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that there is, uh, it's a continuum. It's not a strict dichotomy. You can't place a black artist in a box. Mm -hmm. uh, look at a Jordan Peele. Uh, you can't place us in the categories that you want us to be because it fits your interpretation of what it means to be a black comic or yeah. your interpretation of what it means to be a black artist. Like, I think what we're learning now with streaming and the internet is that there's more fluidity than ever. And the rigidity that has been historic in Hollywood is crumbling apart. They're almost like the Hollywood's like the Catholic Church and we're going through like a Protestant Reformation. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening, I guess. Or it's like, uh... Um, not quantum physics, but uh, what's his name? Einstein. Not Einstein. Before Einstein, the guy who uh, Copernicus. Not Copernicus. The guy after him. Newton. 
Yeah, new Newtonian physics. Yeah. And then you have uh, quantum physics, which came along and just completely eradicated shattered, yeah. and shattered Newtonian physics. It's like we're there now. Right. The, 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 we, categories are becoming a little obsolete at right, this point. Right, right. It's like, <clears throat> what's a comedian in, in, in the 21st century? Right. You know, or what's a dramatist in the 21st century? Right, we're right. all sort of just mixed together. Right. And uh, I think that that's what we're, that's what we've been trying to challenge the last 10 years. Like, mm -hmm. put us into a box. You can't say we're these stoner comics anymore. Uh, we're more than that. Or not even more than that. We're, we're just. Yeah, it's, a, it's who we are, but it's, it's not only who we are. Yeah, like you can, you can be a lot of things. Right. Uh, as, as an American, as a black person, as a, as a twin. Like there, there are so many different things we can be. And as an artist, I don't think, I, I think any artist would, would hate to be defined as one thing. Mm -hmm. I think most artists would want to have that, the opportunity to explore and experiment in different uh, arenas. Mm -hmm. And that, that's sort of what we're trying to do now. Uh, we wanted to do a hard drama, a hard R with, 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 that has history in it and philosophy. And we did it, and uh, hopefully that that changes the narrative a bit. But right. if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We we're going to keep doing what we do. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, the movie obviously was completed. I'm guessing six months to a year ago. It was completed. Well, in, filming. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we're finished filming in uh, December of last year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, like editing, that was done. Was that still being edited during the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. still being edited during the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then being that we're in this like pause, um, like I've been doing writing and I've been doing like stuff kind of on my, it's been an interesting time, like surprisingly, like, like I've seen a lot of opportunity actually open up during this time, as is always the case, like the one door closes and other opens, that really is, true mm -hmm. um so i have found like personally like a lot of opportunity and i have a lot of optimism right now what have you guys kind of been up to during this time um you know we've done a, a, a we've done a lot of writing yeah uh, mm -hmm. several different scripts mm -hmm. uh we're trying to put together a podcast um and doing a lot of like self-exploration just like a lot of deep thinking mm -hmm. and been able to re-engage with philosophy and, and I've read several books. Mm -hmm. uh, I bought a dog. Uh, I saw your dog, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've just been doing things like, because we've been going so hard the last 10 years. It's like every year it's just been like, what can we do to, mm -hmm. to, to, to make it in this, in this uh, industry? But this break, I think, has been absolutely necessary in right. terms of just like getting our mental health back in, in order right. and being able to just like live life without this extra pressure of trying to make it in this industry. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, just, you know, being the artist that we want to be, but also like, you know, being the humans that we want to be. Right. You know, I've been spending more time with my family. Um, I'm spending more time with my brother, spending right. more time with my girlfriend, just, you know. I think we spend enough time. We spend enough time. <laughs> That's probably true. But uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's just trying to, live yeah, life as much as we can absolutely. despite the circumstances right yeah just trying to like find ways to ensure that we're growing i don't not only as artists but as people like humans like i, I always think that as you grow as a human and a person you're also growing as an artist absolutely so i feel like just improving my mental health is my number one thing it's odd because 
I hear a lot of stories about people with their mental health sort of crumbling under quarantine and I feel like I've flourished. Like I've just, I just feel better about myself. Mm -hmm. I wake up happy and, and it's just, it feels like we're all on the same page now. Mm -hmm. If we're all stuck in this situation and we have to persevere or we're gonna crumble. And it feels good to know that we're doing it together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like I, I hope going forward, my hope is that we carry some of those lessons forward. Um, I am also, like I said, like I am, <laughs> you, you, I mean, you put it well, like the, the line between comedy and tragedy. Right. I know how bleak things can be. I know how bad things can be. Um, and I think I choose to be optimistic because I do think there's an opportunity here that like, that we haven't had before. Um, it's been a reset almost, you know? Mm -hmm. Again, we put all our cards on the table. We, we, know, we know the reality of the situation and you're right. This is a new, this is, these are, this is a moment of new opportunities. And, yeah. and you, if you look at it from that perspective, I, I think that is it's certainly better for your mental health and uh, it's probably better for your uh, uh, artistic uh, uh, vision as well. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your dog's name, by the way? Like, Plato. <laughs> like the philosopher. Nice. Yeah, I got, got two little dogs here too. Um, that's, they're really good for the mental health. Oh, yeah. Um, also for, you know, also for like, sometimes, um, it's good for me to remember, like when I am struggling with mental health, sometimes it's like, I'm forgetting that it's not all about me. Right. And so when I remember that, that, I mean, it's simple. I know that, but sometimes we get caught up in our own right. thing. Yeah. Like when I wake up in the morning, you know, my dog looks me in the face and says, he doesn't say, but basically, like, I got to do walk. And that instantly makes it not about me in the morning. It makes right. it about making sure I, my dog relieves himself. So it's like, I think you're right. It's like, that's the beauty of having a pet. Uh, it's just like, you, you're not focusing on yourself anymore. Right. Uh, you have to focus on helping someone else. And I think that that's, for me at least, has been super helpful in just uh, getting out of my head. Right. Uh, and not, like, just like, you know, salty. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, where's the best place for people to keep up with what you're up to, um, upcoming projects? I'm, I know you mentioned the, the podcast. I think that's a really good idea. Right. Um, yeah, so just following and uh, staying up on that. We're, we're, we primarily use Instagram. So right, we're right. at the Lucas Bros on Instagram. That's mm -hmm. our primary uh, tool that we get all our information out. We're not on Twitter. But it's just a uh, cesspool, man. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's too much for me uh, at this stage in my, my life. We really were you ever on Twitter or? We were on Twitter. Yeah, and I was, I never really got into that one. And then like getting into like, you're like, oh, you need to promote on Twitter. Like, I was like, I can't, like, it's too much to even try to jump into. Yeah. It's just overwhelming. And yeah. Trump is, it's his. Yeah. It's a. Uh, choice of getting his, his his words out and for me it's just like I don't like to be inundated with this nonsense so I'd rather keep a safe distance from Twitter mm -hmm. um one of my big insights in this time like you said uh having this pause like I think especially people in New York 
Mm. I don't care what you're doing. Like most people in New York, especially though if you're in the arts, but period, like it's the New York thing. And I'm sure it's, you know, the case a lot of places, but we, it's this constant hustle. Like what's next? What's, you get, you know, kind of on this, this wheel. Um, And then this pause for me, one of the, biggest things that has given me is like clarity of purpose and remembering sometimes like when I'm caught up in my own individual journey um in my own head uh I always believed and came to art for a similar reason I think you guys did but I always believed in art for change Mm -hmm. um and then during this time kind of it's been reaffirming just sort of like when the protests like happen when like George Floyd was killed basically and all the protests happening realizing like for me the best thing that I can do is actually write the things that I'm supposed to write and use my voice with purpose um so I really thank you guys for for doing that with your work um before now and i think the movie's gonna be super timely um when is the movie coming out exactly not sure yet we know sometime in 2021 but we're still trying to figure out uh exactly the best date for releasing yeah well i'm super looking forward to it uh and i thank you guys for sitting down and talking with me today um are there any is there anything else you guys want to talk about today um you have anything else? To no, say? no, everything's. I, I, I really appreciated this conversation. It was. Uh, I'm glad we were able to get it done. And I think what you're doing is also a necessity. And and we appreciate you giving us a platform to spew our, <laughs> our nonsense sometimes. So uh, yeah, we appreciate this, man. Yeah, thank you, man. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, I'm gonna be looking out for both the movie, and let me know um, when you launch that podcast. Sure. Um, you know, I didn't mean for this to happen, but this got classified on some charts as philosophy. Uh, oh, really? So I think this conversation is going to be really uh, true to that. So I look forward to sharing that. Can't wait to listen to it. Yeah. Cool. Well, take care, guys, and keep yeah, up thanks. the good work. Thanks, bro. Peace. So that was my conversation with Kenny and Keith Lucas, the Lucas brothers the writers of the upcoming Judas and the Black Messiah movie about Fred Hampton and what happened there. Um, and that's a whole crazy story. That's that's why the name is what it is. You heard a little bit about that in the conversation. Check out the links in the show notes for the trailer to the movie. Um, to them, of course, on Instagram. Follow them. Keep up with what they're up to, the good work. And I think I'm also going to link, link something, just one of Fred Hampton's speeches, just so you could get an idea of who he was in case you didn't know. Um, and also right now, I just like to take a moment of silence for Breonna Taylor, her family, um, Fred Hampton's family, and all the people who we've lost to racial violence and have not gotten justice, in fact, have been um, sanctioned and killed by the US government. Thank you for that. Um, please uh, keep your head up. Please creating. Please have keep having conversations, the difficult conversations. 
And please keep speaking your truth. Gotta speak truth to power. I know it's scary, uh, but don't don't let it get you down. I'm here for you. Uh, there's a lot of great people making art that is speaking truth to power. That's just speaking truth and sparking conversations. So I hope to keep doing and participating and elevating that. Thank you very much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. Tune in Monday for a new episode. I flipped around what I was releasing, so um, I got a lot of a lot of great episodes coming up. So stay tuned, and I will talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.